Hi folks, something a little different today. I have a interview that I was a, that I was participating in as um, the subject of the interview, sort of, with Brother Andre Marie from the Crusade Channel. If you uh, are a paid member of Mike Church's operation at the Crusade Channel, then you're familiar with Brother Andre Marie's work. We spent a good hour talking about mental prayer. I did a couple weeks ago a short piece from St. Alphonsus Liguori on the subject, and I decided we should go deeper on that subject, and Brother Andre Marie is a great source of information on all things about mental prayer and, you know, the sort of deposit of knowledge about the faith that the church has. So I hope you enjoy this. Have a blessed Saturday. Coming to you from St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Our websites are catholicism.org and reconquest.net. My email address, should you like to shoot me a quick email with a suggestion, comment, or question, is bam at catholicism.org. That's bam at catholicism.org. You can also find me on several social media platforms. Just search for Brother Andre Marie, and you ought to find me readily. This evening's episode is episode number 284. And we're calling it The Art of Mental Prayer. And my guest is Dr. Anthony Stein of the Return to Tradition podcast and the Return to Tradition website. Uh, and we are going to discuss this subject um, because he recently uh, did a recording. I say recently, in the last couple of weeks anyway, uh, did a recording of some material of St. Alphonsus on uh, mental prayer. And he got a lot of positive responses to it, he said. And he thought that this is a subject that should be explored further. So when I wrote him to say, hey, let's do another show, that was the subject that, that he, he said that we should do. So I'm all for it. So uh, good evening, Dr. Stein. How are you today? I'm doing well, brother. How are you today? Very well, thank you. And thanks for agreeing to, to come on to discuss this most worthy topic. Well, I've enjoy, I enjoyed thoroughly our, our previous time that we uh, spent speaking with each other, and uh, I'll always uh, take you up as, on, a, on an invitation. Great, great. Uh, hopefully, I won't abuse that. Um, <laughs> so now, you, you, you record what, – what was the um, piece of St. Alphonsus, the writing of St. Alphonsus that you recorded? There were three short essays on mental prayer that I found online. I want to—I think I found them on the Roman Catholic Man blog. He had done something a few years ago on it, and they were—I mean, these are old enough that I'm pretty sure that they weren't um, any of the contemporary translations either, which I'm always sensitive to because of copyright mm -hmm. issues. But um, let me see if I can. <laughs> Should have had these up. But, oh, okay. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't prep you for that question either. So that's <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, though these were, these were fairly, you know, these were pretty short excerpts from a from a larger work he had on prayer that had been then combined into sort of one long form article on mental prayer, and it was sort of this the basics of mental prayer, how to do mental prayer, and what it is, and I think it's something people need to talk about more to go deeper into because. Again, as I, as I was just telling you, we don't hear mental prayer talked about much in the church today. Certainly, um, my time when in the uh, in the sort of the ordinary forum parishes, as people call them, I never heard one time other than maybe a vague reference to mental prayer. And I think that was from a deacon who just knew 
to go deeper into the faith and what it was just handed to us. And at my FSSP parish, I almost never hear about mental prayer. And the times I've been to masses with the Society of St. Pius X, I've never heard about, I've never heard homilies on mental prayer. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a void out there and it needs to be t- spoken about because St. Alphonsus Liguori has basically said you can't be saved without mental prayer. Now, I'm, yeah, maybe yeah. he's being a little, going a little far with that, but I'll, I'll trust the doctor of the church on this one. Yeah, well, uh, what I recall reading in St. Alphonsus is that um, he said that um, actually, you know, there there are several saints who have spoken to, to this. Uh, I think the common opinion is to say that uh, mental prayer for the, for those in the you know who have reached the age of reason, uh, mental prayer uh, is um, morally necessary for salvation. Um, and um, I mean, on the positive side, Adolf Tanqueray, Father Adolf Tanqueray, the Sulpician spiritual writer, refers to it as the most effective means of assuring one's salvation. And um, and and Saint Teresa of Avila, um, yeah, she she gets pretty insistent. She said, "He who neglects mental prayer needs not a devil to carry him to hell, but brings himself there with his own hands." That's uh, she had quite a way with words with those, <laughs> with that. Yeah, yeah, I like hell is where Lutherans go, but that, that's also her. But I guess that's the subject for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I know that I know that we, this is going to be almost like a reverse interview, I think, because you, you were saying that um, you know, you you would be happy to throw questions at me uh during this. So, uh, what 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 would you want to um, where would you want to go to 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 start exploring the subject? Well, at first, I want to um, probably just do this organically. So I, I would say, what is mental prayer, first and foremost? Just get the, uh, the obvious question out of the way. Yeah, okay. So um, there's a – so when I when I um, wrote some things on this years ago, I based myself on several uh, approved authors, one of whom is the aforementioned uh, Father Adolf Tanqueray, the Sulpician. And he defines mental prayer as a silent elevation and application of our mind and heart to God in order to offer him our homages and to promote his glory by our advancement in virtue. There's a, there's a lot to that. Um, St. Teresa of Avila's definition is a little simpler. It's, uh, it's a, She says mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. So it, it's a it's a very intense, concentrated um, exercise uh, whereby we um, progress from one act to another. Generally, there's some sort of opening acts of of um, uh, presenting ourselves to God, um, and then there's some considerations uh, or reflections, and this is the part that's properly called meditation, uh, and then that would be followed by um, what some authors call affections, which is, you know, stirring up acts of, of um, the virtues, you know, love of God, uh, the you know, re- contrition, um, resolutions to do better, things like that. The whole host of all of the virtues, you can you can make acts of them during prayer. Um, and then there would be uh, resolutions and then there would be um, some concluding acts. This is a super simple outline. Um, but uh, that it's a it's a formal exercise when we talk about mental prayer. But what it's supposed to develop into over time is a, a conversation. So that it's it's what Saint Teresa of Avila says. It's a, it's a heart to heart with him 
by whom we know ourselves to be loved, right? So it goes from a more formal exercise at the beginning to hopefully we make progress both in the prayer part and in the outside of prayer part, the living of virtue outside of prayer, uh, uh, so that it becomes a, a more spontaneous, loving conversation with with our Lord, and um, so that we get what Saint Teresa of Avila says: it's whereas in the beginning we're going to need to be meditating more, you know, more application to either reading a book or meditating on some mystery, and there will be less by way of conversation or acts of acts of the different virtues in prayer. Um, hopefully over time what will happen is it will develop into a more spontaneous conversation. And she says that uh, mental prayer is not about thinking much, but it is about loving much. And that's where we, we need to head ourselves off to. So then uh, there's a sort of an essential element of being able to quiet the mind then, right? Um, yes. And because – I know that one of our modern problems is that we are surrounded by noise constantly. The um, great, the great Catholic modern philosopher, and now recently um, dearly departed co-religionist of ours, uh, Father or not Father, but um, Dr. Roger Scruton, he talked about in numerous of his essays how you can't escape noise in the modern world. That everywhere you go, you're filled with like this insipid pop music everywhere you go. And if it's not that, then it's the sound of engines. It's this, it's just noise constantly, and there's a sort of a need for silence. And his philosophy, his philosophical writings, I mean, there was always an undercurrent of Catholicism to them because he mm-hmm. was a Catholic, but they were directed towards a secular audience. But it's the same sort of thing that I'm reminded of, like Cardinal Robert Seurat talking about with the you know sacred silence. Yes. And the constant barrage of noise does sort of corrupt the mind in a way where we can't quiet our inner thoughts we'll get a song stuck in our head or we'll just be going you know essentially instead of directing outward towards god with our minds we are inwardly turned with our minds towards whatever relatively pointless thing that we're uh sort of focused on at the time so if it's that then is that also a way is mental prayer then a way or a means of getting past the vocal stage of prayer where we're and it's and it's not just you know, the vocal stage prayers where you're literally praying aloud, but there have been some people who have spoken about mental prayer make it almost sound like it is merely silent prayer. And I mean, and my sense after reading St. Alphonsus was that it, that's not what mental prayer was at all, that it was something much more profound than merely praying silently what you would pray verbally. Oh, yeah. It, it isn't just praying silently what you would pray verbally, although – um, you kind of have to put a footnote on that, but uh, well, let me just say the footnote now. The footnote is that whereas there are several different sort of formal methods of mental prayer, you know, you've got your um, Ligurian method, uh, you've got you know, after Saint Alphonsus de Ligurian, you've got your Sulpician method. There are four Ignatian methods that Saint Ignatius himself wrote about in the in the um, spiritual exercises. There's the Carmelite method, which is perhaps the simplest. And there is a, 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 also a simple outline format that uh, Don Vitalis Lahodi, uh, the Trappist spiritual writer, wrote about in his book, um, which is called The Art of Mental Prayer, um, which is a, a very simple outline. Um, he, uh, All of them are more or less formal, right? There's this sort of outline. There's this expectation that you will in- pass from 
this part of the prayer from this discursive consideration of some mystery or virtue or passage of the Bible um, or, you know, a mystery of our of our salvation. You will pass from there to these sort of affections and, and conversation and resolutions. Um, but for people who can't do that, uh, for people who, who find great difficulty in doing that, because we are, I mean, it's going to sound pat to say, but we are all different and not everybody has the sort of same inner landscape. Um, some people say that uh, a meditative, and, and that's the difference, a meditative recitation of vocal prayers can be a supplement. And for something like 14 years of her life, St. Teresa of Avila was forced to do that so that um, she couldn't engage in mental prayer without either A, uh, meditating on a vocal prayer, like she would pray the Our Father very, very slowly. She, I don't mean slowly, like, you know, slowing down the, the speed of the prayer. She would pray, you know, one part of it and just mull it over in her mind. And there would be this sort of um, micro mental prayer on that part of the Lord's Prayer. And she would speak to our Lord about it and, and sort of try to unpack the, the meaning of it, the deeper meaning of it. And then she'd pass on to the next petition or the next section in the prayer. Um, so that that's doable. But that's, as you say, that's much more than just silent prayer. That's, just, that's more than just, you know, um, being quiet while you say your vocal prayers. It's a, it's a more of a delving deeper, diving deeper into the into the inner meaning of the prayer and applying it to yourself and conversing with our Lord about it. I mean, because there are two at this thing, right? It's not just you. Um, we're not we're not um, solipsists and and we're not uh, um, uh, what's the word narcissists. It's not an exercise in narcissism. It's an exercise in being open to to our Lord. And and by the way. Card I'm glad you mentioned Cardinal Robert Sarah, and I'm glad you mentioned um, Dr. Scruton because Roger Scruton was sort of this esthete. I mean, he he you know that that's was his um, his real uh, forte was 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 beauty. Mm -hmm. But to be open to beauty, to be open to the to open to be open to the truly contemplative experience of art, requires the same necessary. Um, uh, openness to reality, which is something that our noise and clutter and and and, and constant din of um, distraction and and enervation that we have all around us, um, it, it keeps us from being truly receptive to reality. We think we're receptive to reality because we have all this information. We live in the information age, and we have this efficient communication. But here we have a we're supplementing um, uh, quantity for quality, and uh, not all communication is good. In fact, we have a lot of it, and most of it's bad. But um, to be truly quiet and receptive to reality is necessary for the person who's going to appreciate a great piece of art, as it is for a person who's going to enter into genuine mental prayer and contemplation. Hmm. I've always found Dr. Scruton's works very thought-provoking in general, um, and I'm so I'm pleased to hear that about it, about the things he had to say. Um, but something I I kind of wrestle with when it comes to mental prayer is how to quiet that sort of inner storm in the mind. Um, part of it is because I'm a convert. I think that you know 
and I deal with some deep-seated anger, I think. Things that I thought, you know, I'm over. Well, you know, I got a confession like everybody else. <laughs> anger anger is one of the things I'm willing to admit publicly that I confess to. But um, how do we quiet that sort of the, the mind? Because, again, we live in a culture of that has rejected beauty and rejected peace. And we are bombarded with things that will just stir the mind up at all times. And I almost wonder if part of this this sort of this wave of a, people's inability to sleep that you hear about is because of just this constant bombardment of this garbage in the culture. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, there, there are actually sort of literal environmental causes when it comes to sleep deprivation. I mean, I've, I've learned only lately about blue light and its nefarious effects. And uh, but I, I, I have no knowledge. I, had, I don't claim any expertise in that area. So there's some of that which is going to be just sort of electronically induced because it's bad for your body. But uh, I think a lot of it is just there is the constant din of noise. There's the there's the echadia, you know, the sloth, which we, we tend to think of sloth as this complete inertness. But sloth is not complete inertness. Sloth is like a ceaseless activity. We think of the person who's who looks like he's got ADD. He's hopping from one thing to another. He's being like the 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 multitasking modern man. He he's got you know a, a million tabs open and a million applications open on his computer, and he's he's hopping from one thing to another and can't be still. Um, now I understand that sometimes we have to. I mean I have to sometimes have 12 tabs open on my web browser when I'm researching something. I, I'm not saying that that's like a sin or anything. <laughs> I'm but, I'm glad because I think I have about 45 tabs open. <laughs> I've had I mean, I've had I've had it before where I would get glitchy audio recordings of my videos because my CPU was so bogged down by these <laughs> by these things that I've opened. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess that's maybe even an image. Of of what we can do to ourselves you know we can we can we can sort of glut our own cpus with too much stuff but of course computers computers can multitask in a way like we can multitask but what they're doing is they're splitting the uh the attention of the processor right i mean it can only take so much right so I, i'm not going to compare the human mind uh maybe more so the brain but that's not even comparable to a computer but certainly not the human mind which is a super organic faculty i'm not going to compare that to a computer but there's something common in this that you can't truly multitask a computer doesn't even truly multitask it splits the the time it splits the energy of the chip from this to that but it can go back and forth very very quickly right we can't uh, not, not that I think I'm convinced that women can multitask much better than men. And I think God did that because he made them to take care of children, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think that's actually documentable. Yeah, I think it is documented. I think I've actually taken courses in college. I mentioned that. Okay. But this but, is, but, this is before that would have been verboten by the way in yeah, colleges. Yeah. Distinguishing between men and women is forbidden now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, the, when you talk about, um, uh, the the attention span we we very much tend to get ourselves distracted um, you know the, think of the even before um, the internet you know you had cable television you had the, you know the the remote control where you had you know whatever 400 channels of garbage to choose from and people are constantly just cycling from one thing to another to another to another to another 
And when you do that, you're splitting your attention and you and you lose the ability. One thing I read, one horrifying thing I read about attention span is that when you when you habitually multitask, it doesn't just um, derogate from the quality of your work while you're multitasking. It also derogates from the quality of your work while you're not multitasking. In other words, it's gotten you habituated to this sort of constant distraction and, and constant um, rootlessness and restlessness and, and, and going all across the landscape rather than focusing on one thing. So there's a great motto of the spiritual life from the monks of old, Ajay quote Ajis, do what you are doing. I have a little plaque that says that in my office in Latin, Ajay quote Ajis. And it's a little reminder not to get all um, uh, not to get all distracted, not to get all excited, but just to focus on the thing right in front of you and do it and do it well and then move on to the next thing. I think mental prayer helps us to uh, cultivate that discipline. And aside from that, it also, if we try it and we find that we're having difficulty with it, it might get us to realize that we need to kind of cut out of our lives those things that are making it difficult for us to to be undistracted in focusing on something it almost sounds as if mental prayer then would have some we'll call them material or physical benefits in helping us to filter out the garbage in the culture as well then because if it of course helps us to deepen that uh, to borrow a term from the protestants personal relationship with our lord by engaging in that sort of very intimate form of prayer then it would, of course, anchor our, our minds and our souls more in Christ and then help us to have a more discerning eye towards what really is beauty in the culture and what is just absolute garbage and not worth our time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, and uh, if you go to the um, – uh, I was I was at a, a, a Byzantine uh, rite um, burial this morning. Uh, uh, tragically, a young – a teenage boy was being buried in the, in the Ukrainian rite. And, um, you know, they, they have this thing they say over and over again in the Byzantine divine liturgy uh, and in some of their other rites. It's called they, they say wisdom be attentive. Um, and uh, the deacon, if there's a deacon there, he's the one who says that. But he's calling the the worshipers to attend, to be attention, to, to be attentive to the divine mysteries. And although mental prayer isn't liturgical prayer, it's distinguished from it. It's some some authors, by the way, call it personal prayer hmm. um, when we approach mental prayer as simply being attentive to the divine you know saint thinking of saint john damascene's definition of prayer as the the uh, the elevation of the soul to god that that's just the, that's the sort of the bedrock definition of prayer an elevation of the soul to god um, when we when we think of it that way, we we realize that this is an exercise that's forcing us, or rather, not not forcing by 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 some violence, but it's bringing our mind to attend to the divine and to the, and to the sacred mysteries, um, and uh, that is so. It's always needed. It's needed in every age, but now we especially need to commit ourselves to do this in a disciplined, you know, regular way because everything. 
is arrayed against that kind of attention. I mean, I, the more I think of it, the more I think of what the oligarchs are up to, and you know, whether it's <laughs> issues of vaccination, ooh, bad word, but whatever, th that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's those issues, um, you know, or, or economic questions or b b what they're doing in politics and and uh, pop culture and everything, it, it, we're getting one constant distraction after another because they don't want us to know what they're actually doing, right? It could, um, it could very well be that all this great reset talk, all this, you know, banning meat talk and vaccinations, and most of that is just a smokescreen for something else. And yeah. that's where your mind goes when you don't have ability to filter the garbage out. And, if, and, if, and focus if that's on that stuff. And if that doesn't work, we might actually have an alien invasion. I mean, a staged alien. They're actually talking about this. Oh, I know, I know. And I've been, I have on the back burner a video that I want to do about, uh, based off of some census fidelium homilies and some other uh, things from exorcists and and like the lay assistants to exorcists who've all investigated this stuff and said, no, this is demonic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, people are, people are going to fall for it, and we're going to look like lunatics. Yeah, for so not buying the so, scam. I, and and the thing is, um, you know, we, we have to be attentive to what's absolutely most important. And, you know, um, we need to go where our actual help is, right? I mean, we, 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 there is no salvation in politics. There is no salvation. There is, there is no hope for the current political system. My personal opinion is it all needs to be destroyed and built up from, from the ground up because it's well, hopelessly I, 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 corrupt. I suspect that if the Fatima message is fulfilled in our lifetimes, then we won't have to worry about that anymore because we'll get to witness it firsthand, at least as much of it as we survive through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because of course, if if, if what you're talking about actually happens, it will it will be a, uh, a, a it'll be a, it'll be a divine battle. great reset. Yeah. A lot of us will be wiped out. But my, my, my point is that instead of focusing our energies there and, you know, saying we're, no, we're going to take back Washington, D.C., forget about it. I mean, take back heaven. You know, that's 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 what you should do. And I'm not saying withdraw from the culture. I'm not saying withdraw from from evangelizing your neighbor. I'm not saying being antisocial. What I'm saying is what do you attend to and how do you learn I'm, I'm reading a book right now by, um, by the, the great German Catholic philosopher, Josef Pieper. It's on the four cardinal virtues. I should have read this years ago. I'm only now getting to it. But I'm slowly reading the beginning section on prudence. And um, how do you, you know, pr mental prayer gives you, in a sense, the discipline to practice something like prudence. He makes the point that everybody, everybody has this wrong idea on what prudence is. Prudence is this sort of restraint Prudence is this thing that says, oh, don't offend anybody. Prudence is this thing that, that says, don't go too far. They mistake no, it for cowardice. moderate. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, and since the 19th century, at least people have been doing this because I, I found a 19th century author, Venerable Emmanuel Delzon, mocking that sort of caricature, uh, that vile simulacrum of prudence. But uh, what, what true prudence is, pr true prudence brings you to act. And, and St. Thomas says that perf perfected prudence uh, brings you to act promptly and, and resolutely. It's not something that's just this constant front of, um, of restraint, like, oh, don't fast too much because it might be bad for you. Or, oh, <laughs> oh, don't pray too much because then you'll be a fanatic. Or, oh, don't say that because, you know, even though you think that person needs to hear that, um, it might offend him. That's I not prudence. Our, our Lord basically. Our Lord explicitly said he either prefers the fanatics or the absolutely cold to, yes. the, to, the, to those who try to get along because he, those are things he can work with. 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing, what it all boils down to for for Peeper, who's just sort of channeling St. Thomas and making it more approachable, he says, and of course he's doing it in the light of modern errors, is he's saying that first prudence has to be open to reality. It's this openness to what is real, to what is. And and so part of it is in the intellect, but then it has to shift into the will to command action, right? Now, this is something that can be thought of in terms of mental prayer. In our current milieu, um, we are being fed false realities all the time. We're being fed false narratives all the time. And if we take what we know to be reliably true, supernaturally revealed truths, mysteries of the faith, you know, um, uh, virtues that we are supposed to aspire to, um, any of the mysteries of the rosary or any other approved, you know, Catholic devotion, we can meditate on all of those subjects without any fear that we're, we're falling for a false narrative. And it gets us into what is real. And we first we're open to that reality. And then we do something prudently based upon it. And one, one of those prudent things you can do is to fulfill your obligations to God, you know, with acts of adoration, right? We don't adore God enough. We think of prayer as, you know, insert quarter, get goodies at the bottom out of the cosmic uh, vending machine. That's not prayer. Pra prayer is not gimme, gimme, gimme. Prayer is, uh, first of all, adoration, thanksgiving, reparation. And, and then petition is the last, but then you can throw in, you know, love of God, acts of faith, acts of hope, um, acts of religion, which is primarily adoration, acts of acts of contrition for specific sins that you've committed. So um, you talk about you talk about anger. Um, you know, one way to use mental prayer as kind of a, a bludgeon against that uh, that particular temptation, that particular capital sin is to meditate on the meekness of Christ, you know. Some people are really good at picturing to themselves a scene, huh? Mm -hmm. A joke in one of the mental prayer books that I read that talked about how a, this poor nun in a convent, she was a novice, I think, she spent her entire meditation time trying to put our Lord at a place in the Last Supper where he wasn't getting a draft. Um, obviously, for her, the, the little details of... <laughs> the composition of place, which is what St. Ignatius calls this, were just too much. It, it, it just, it, it, it distracted her too much. But some people, I know I have a friend who says that the only thing he can meditate on is virtues. Like he'll abstract, meditate on this abstract virtue, you know, humility or, um, or you know, prudence or whatever, any of the temporal, uh, um, any of the, excuse me, um, uh, um, any, any of the moral virtues. Uh, or theological virtues, but some episode from the Gospels, some mystery of the Rosary, we can we can picture ourselves to that, or we can take some passage from Scripture, you know. So there are passages against anger in Scripture. You know, Be angry, but sin not. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not saying all anger is out of place, because now we live in this sort of milk toast age, which says that we can never have any strong convictions about anything. So no, there there is a place for anger, but yeah, it's it it can. Anger can lead very easily into murdering someone in your heart. Yeah, oh yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> that's the that and, is the problem. And and I would say that the the, the virtue of meekness, which is the opposite of you know, it's one thing to eradicate a, a vice, but then you've got a vacuum, right? You 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 really want to su you supplant the vice with the virtue. You want to replace the vice with the virtue, and the virtue which opposes uh, anger is meekness. So somebody who's who's got the sort of the cerebral ability 
can you know read something about the virtue of meekness by a great spiritual master uh, by saint thomas uh, and then take that and, and and make that a subject of mental prayer so how would somebody a beginner to mental prayer get started how would you recommend they start is there almost a easy to i would i want to say easy to read guide but if we live in an age of ugliness and noise, we also live in an age of almost increasing illiteracy also. We know True. this because um, you read the typical newspaper and it's written to an eighth grade reading level. And then you go grab like the New York Times and it's the paper of record, meaning the chief propaganda outlet for the regime. Mm-hmm. And it's got a higher brow audience. So it's at a 12th grade reading level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's something that people can read as or um, or a good something that goes in depth in online for people because if there these are practices that i would like to think that our forebears had um had really you know taken much more seriously than we do now and i think i i do believe this was one of the casualties of this revolution of vatican ii honestly that a lot of these devotions that went by the wayside mental prayer more so than even the rosary well, one thing that I would, um, one thing that I can direct people to as this is an introductory thing to read, and I don't think it's quite at a high school level. It might be, uh, although an intelligent high school student could do it. Um, it's called the practice of mental prayer. I wrote it, okay, so I'm recommending myself, but I'm, I'm not recommending myself because uh, under one formality because. I'm just sort of taking what a whole lot of approved authors have said about it, and, and I, uh, I, I found yeah I found it online. I'll share it with uh, I'll share it on my website. Um, great, thank you. If you'll let me, I'll record it actually for people. If, oh if yeah, people. sure. It's called the Practice of Mental Prayer. Um, now I also gave an eight part um, like course, like mini course in mental prayer, where I took this, the, the material that's in this one talk, this is the script of a talk I gave years ago, uh, in 2005, I think, but the, the, the practice of mental prayer was something that I took and, and expanded to an eight part little mini course, um, which I gave here at St. Benedict Center some, some years ago. And, um, you know, we've gotten good feedback on that. But there are lots of authors, uh, really good authors. Like um, one of the best is this um, uh, Rohrbach. Uh, You know, I don't know if he's a priest or a layman. I've seen him called father, but that's not what the the book says. Um, He wrote a book um, called Conversation with Christ. And it's, uh, it's, it's St. Teresa of Avila on mental prayer. And what he did was he just took every reference that she made to mental prayer and and quotes it i mean not every single one you know it's not a florilegium of quotes from saint Teresa. it's his own systematic treatise of her approach to mental prayer it's a very approachable book it's a very readable book um and what was that book again it's called conversation with christ and it's published by tan books and publishers i just checked before the interview to make sure that it's still in print and indeed it is so Naturally, I found it first on Amazon, and, and I ask readers, I ask listeners not to buy it there. But get, get, right, go no, get. no, no. My personal thing that I always tell people is first find it, try to find it from a good Catholic publisher, whether they publish it themselves or somebody who, another publisher who partners with them to have it in their web store, which is like what Tumblr House does and some others. If you can't find it there, then look for a used copy. And if yeah. you can't find it there, then go to Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, and there are used there are used books, you know, outfits that are much smaller than Amazon that aren't, you know, sucking people's brains out and stuff like Amazon is doing. Yeah. 
symbolically i, I, I just I, googled it and i found it uh it's on tan books for 1695 a website yeah. called cokesbury has it for 1449 and i found a used copy for around eight dollars so yeah it's a really it's a simple a, google search yeah that's a great book and and um you know th there's also um dom chotard uh who has the wonderful book um on the let's see what's he call it um soul of the apostolate the soul of the apostolate um, and, and his point in that book is, you know, let's not get all so wound up in active works to the neglect of our spiritual lives and to the neglect of our interior lives. And this is a problem for us today, um, Dr. Stein, is, is so much, we know that there's so much to be done, right? There's so much to be done. And we're tempted to the sort of the Americanist approach, which is all action and forget the interior life, forget fasting, forget, you know, robust liturgical um, uh, practices, solemn masses and stuff. Let's let's forget all that stuff from from the Middle Ages and and, and, and be men of action. Right. Well, this but, is why I think the modern error is a works based gospel and yeah. not the way that the uh, Protestants say, even though they actually are extremely guilty of it themselves, as evident by the uh, um, what, oh, they, uh, what do they call it? The, it's not their prosperity gospel, but it's the. Um, the Protestant work ethic. They're guilty yeah, of it through the Protestant work ethic. Yeah. And yeah. we see it now in the Catholic Church when we you know, when we see contemplative orders getting attacked or controlled now with the new governing system that these things have. Or and being told to, well, contem con contemplation is fine on your own time, but you need to be out there, you know, doing the stuff of the Beatitudes. And while that's important, I'm never not gonna disagree with our Lord on that. There is an emphasis on works to the point where the gospel is presented these days across the board as a works-based doctrine. And it's, yeah. and the, you know, the, the Protestants of old would have looked at the Catholic church and with an aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. And what we've got is Americanism. I mean, it's it, it, in this, you know, that Protestant work ethic got picked up by Catholics in, in, in the United States early on and it became Americanism. Um, with Father Elliot and Father Hecker and all those guys, uh, the Paulists. And, uh, yeah, so they were against the contemplative orders and they were against, you know, uh, the, the kind of interiority that Catholicism always had about it, which, by the way, was just sort of the flip side of the same religion that gives us the, uh, the corporal and, and, and spiritual works of mercy. So, mm -hmm. It's it's not an either or thing, you know. Catholicism, Protestantism is an either or thing. Catholicism is a both and thing. It always was. Although, depending upon your particular mode of life, whether you're a Carthusian or a Jesuit or a, a, a mother of six children, um, you're going to have some different combination of the active and the contemplative. But both elements ought to be there. And mental prayer is one of the ways to assure that no matter how active you are. You've got it. And that's one thing to remember is that if you look back at the history of religious life in the church, you will find that, you know, in the Middle Ages, they weren't writing treatises on mental prayer. Why? Because the monks had so much time for prayer specifically. They, they, they went about the, the, the entire divine office, the, the mass, which would have been in the solemn form. And uh, they had time where that was for just what they called prayer and they would go in and they would get engaged in what was historically called Lexio Divina. They would slowly read through the scriptures and pray the scriptures. You know, it wasn't a, a quick read through scripture. This wasn't preparing for a lecture. This was letting God speak to me and then I speak back. But when life got more fast paced in the era of the Counter-Reformation 
And there was all this emphasis on active works in active orders like the Jesuits and like the Theatines and other similar orders of clerks regular or clerics regular. They needed to take all those things that the monks in the Middle Ages did slowly over their whole day mixed with work and so forth, mostly in silence. They had to take that and concentrate it into set times where where they had to say take an hour or a half hour and that's my time for mental prayer because I've got to say my office I've got to say my mass and much of the rest of the day is going to be spent teaching or preaching or walking to your next mission or whatever the particular active work is so mental prayer as such is a you know maybe a 600 year old thing as far as um, taking all those things that was done in the life of Christians at a slower uh, age, in a more contemplatively oriented age, and concentrating them into a smaller block of time, right? So it was, in in a sense, mental prayer was meant, mental prayer as St. Teresa of Avila would have spoken of it, which she's a counter-reformation saint, right? Mm -hmm. That practice is something that's especially for modern times because it takes something that a monk should be, in theory, stretching over his whole day uh, and and packaging it for somebody who doesn't have that uh, that leisure, and that holy leisure. They, the the, the um, Cistercians speak of holy leisure. Um, we don't, and it's not it's not being a couch potato. You know, it's it's not a bag of Doritos and, and, a, and a remote control in your hand on the couch. It's a, 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 the leisure to attend to higher things. That leisure that Joseph Pieper writes about in Leisure: The Basis of Culture. Uh, but it's specifically religious, and it entails fasting and, and all sorts of mortifications and deprivations. But um, but yeah, w- when we're talking about mental prayer as a sort of concentrated exercise, it really is meant for people who are going to be spending much or most of the rest of their day uh, in an activity, and this helps to focus that activity. I think the only form of mental prayer we hear about now in the church is Lexio Divina. And and I don't think we hear about it for the right reason. Obviously, hearing about Lexio Divina from the priests and the clergy in general is a good thing. But I think it's, we hear about it as sort of a, you know, the opening the windows of the church to the world and making the faith more accessible to Protestants kind of thing, you know, greater emphasis on sacred scripture. And it's, you know, Lexia Divina obviously is a beautiful thing, but there are other forms of mental prayer as well. St. Alphonsus Liguori uh, spoke about the, or wrote about the Holy Rosary being a form of mental prayer, or at least it can be a form of mental prayer because you're supposed to actually be reflecting on the, each of the mysteries of the rosary um, as you mentioned, like I've never had a problem with actually placing myself mentally in like visualizing a scene. It's usually when I'm doing my rosary, I'm trying to visualize the mystery. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes back to, you know, what feels like a previous pre-Catholic life, you know, hobbies I had that involved a lot of imagination with friends of mine. And which why one of the benefits, I guess, of that is I can put myself in that place. But, you know, the, the rosary has been de-emphasized in our times, although – in recent years, it's made its comeback, thankfully. But what other forms of mental prayer would you say that people that are accessible to people, like the rosary being a good one, Lexio Divina being the one we really only hear about, but there seem to be others too. Well, I mean, it's 
the simplest one is kind of like Lexia Divina, only it really isn't. Um, it's just the Carmelite method is, you know, you pick up a book. It's it could be scripture, it could be the um, some even a life of a saint. But lives of the saints then it gets lost in historical details and things, so it's not so focused. But the imitation of Christ would be a good example, something like this. You after putting yourself in the presence of God with some opening prayers, you open that book, whatever it is. And, um, you know, say it's the imitation of Christ or say it's the gospel of St. Luke and you read it just to the point where you now have something to meditate on. And then you go to think about that thing and to either compose the scene in your mind or to take that utterance of our Lord. You know, maybe, maybe it, yesterday was in, in real time as we're recording this yesterday was the Feast of St. John the Baptist. And, you know, St. John the Baptist calls himself the friend of the bridegroom. And I love meditating on that um, because it's it's kind of how I, you know, how I try to identify myself as as a, as a brother. I'm not, I'm not a priest. Um, you know, I, I can't identify myself at like a nun or a religious sister can as a bride of Christ, but I can be a friend of the bridegroom. And, and he goes on to say, I, I must, he must increase, I must decrease, you know. So the friend of the bridegroom rejoices at the voice of the, of, of the bridegroom wooing the, the, the bride, and the bride in this case is the church. So th- these are things that we can, um, you know, we can unpack this in our mind and make it a point of discussion with our Lord. So what I'm saying is the different forms of mental prayer would all, in, would the, the, the chief variety is going to be in what is in that meditation part that's the the, the beginning part of the meditation, of the mental prayer. In other words, after your opening prayers, you open yourself up to some considerations or reflections or meditation. It's all the same thing. Um, what's going to cause the chief variety is, are you using a book? Are you taking a mystery of the rosary? Are you taking some virtue? You could have read something in the Summa last night that you think is a good subject for meditation. You, you could have taken something from a homily, from a sermon of, of a good priest. You know, you might have heard one of these YouTube sermons by a good priest. And he may have said one thing in there that really hit you and made you realize, oh, I got to work on that. You can meditate on a, on a, on a how do I eradicate this particular vice? Um, so really the chief variety, as I say, is going to be in... Uh, what is the source of the meditation? What is it that's going to feed your considerations? Uh, but what's going to be common to all of them is that you pass from those considerations to conversation, to affections, you know, making interior acts of the virtues. And it should culminate in something um, concrete because mental prayer ought to make us better. And, we therefore speak of resolutions that we make, you know, okay, well, I real I, like, let's, let, let's pick, you know, arbitrarily, oh, I don't know, anger <laughs> and say, okay, well, I meditated on our Lord, you know, um, at, at his, at his um, humiliation in the, in the, in the, at the ecce homo, you know, he's, he's crowned with thorns. He's, he's got this scarlet robe around him and sheer mockery of his kingship. He's been beaten in the head. He's been, he's, he's got this scepter, this mock scepter in his hand. And and I'm going to realize that he was like a meek lamb before the shearer. He was being slaughtered slowly, you know, and and was quiet during this and could have at any moment, you know, annihilated his enemies. 
uh, as God, of course, he was constantly sustaining them in existence during this time in which they're doing these horrible things to him. Yet he takes it, right, for our salvation, which that kind of thought can bring out thoughts of gratitude and then resolutions to do something like what St. Alphonsus constantly does in his books, which is to say, if he can do that, surely you can at least do this. There's this constant appeal to the a fortiori argument in St. Alphonsus's writings, right? He writes about these horrible, horrible macerations that the saints impose upon themselves and said, well, if, if they can do that, surely you can do without a you know your dessert every once in a while. You know? gonna, yeah, if they, yeah, if the if you're fighting impurity, and some of the saints who fought this themselves, you know, would throw themselves into a briar bush or into a snowbank. Maybe you can take a cold shower. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I have the example of my patron saint who rolled in in the snow in his birthday suit in, in in Quebec, right? And in the Quebec winter, which is even more severe than our New Hampshire winter here. So, um, yeah. I mean, if they could do that, certainly we can, you know, engage in a day of partial fast or take a cold shower. Um, and you know, th- th- these are things which can motivate us. So part of the thing is it's motivational to action, and I don't mean action as in the kind of Americanist sort of, you know, we're just men of action and we don't get into that contemplative stuff. I mean concrete deeds, you know, acts that we say, okay, I resolve that I will do this act today. I resolve that the next time somebody gets me angry, I will be silent about it. I resolve that the next time I feel an impulse of anger, I'll say a prayer for the person who's the source of the anger. Uh, and, and try to imitate our Lord who, who, who loved his enemies even when they were being so um, horribly malign towards him. Um, these, these, this is the way that, um, you know, mental prayer kind of is the, the rubber that meets the road as far as going from a life of sin and vice or even spiritual mediocrity to a life of, of virtue and good works and, and spiritual, you might say, excellence. Hmm. It's a lot for that is a lot for people to think about. Um, I'm going to try to have some of these books over on my website when I uh, post this on the uh, on my own uh, audio only sort of um, podcast options, like on Spotify or wherever. So and uh, I'll have it embedded on my website too, so I can have with the books and things, so that people can actually and your article as well, so that people can read these for themselves. Because you know, I tend to think Saint Alphonsus Liguori was right that. It's you know it is, that mental prayer is essential to your salvation, and it's not because it's a specific action that you take, but it's because it's that deepening of the faith. It is that really that transformative, taking that plunge to really tra- a transformative lifestyle and living the full the fullness of the faith, as we say. Yeah. And it's again we don't hear that in the church anymore. And we wonder why only one in three people believe in the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. I mean, right. you can, if you want to, it's it's something people don't believe. It's a, and I say that in videos, and people don't believe me. And because of like all the political things in the last two years, they don't want to believe polling data. I don't blame them for not believing polling data, but the, the lack of belief in the real presence is a very severe thing, and it's an indictment on the church, not just the hierarchy, but on ourselves because we're supposed to correct. Our, our, you know, our fellow Catholics on this issue. And that's a and, fairly consistent point, data point, too, by the way, the, 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 low, the low ebb of, of belief in the real presence. That's been going on for decades. In fact, that's actually be, uh, the real presence itself would be something that um, somebody could contemplate as, as a form of mental prayer for, in Absolutely. front of the in, in, in an hour of adoration, which for those who have, who have never had the privilege, like 
there was a religious, I'm not sure if they're a religious order or not, but a priestly fraternity and a order of, uh, of, of women religious were ran the Newman Center at my alma mater, and they were quasi-charismatic, quoting Medjugorje, all that stuff. But their masses were very reverent, and they offered students like one-on-one time for the uh, in, in front of the Blessed Sacrament in the private chapel. Mm. If you can get that, <laughs> do it. Um, adoration okay. will try. Well, adoration will make will, will actually help you conquer vices. Yeah, and adoration. I mean, and and when if you sign up for an hour of adoration time, that's a great time for mental prayer. I mean, it's not like it's not like they're separate things. You can use it and meditate on the mystery of the of the Eucharist, which is ne- which we can never plumb the depths of, uh, in mental prayer. Um, I, I like to say a couple of things. You, you said at the, at the beginning that you know you, you hadn't hadn't heard a, a sermon on on mental prayer in so so long. I recently did hear one from a fairly young fraternity of St. Peter priest who who pray, uh, gave a good Sunday sermon in the parish that we go to mass in now, and um, and it was very edifying. And what he said was that you know if you can't do any more, do at least 15 minutes. So I know some people ask, well, how long does this take? Well, some authors will insist on a half hour, but some will say, look, if you're a busy person, you can't squeeze out any more than 15 minutes from your schedule. Do 15 minutes. And the the thing is that people need to be challenged and encouraged to do this daily and just keep up at it. Keep up. And and one of the most encouraging things about this is Saint Alphonsus says that mental prayer and mortal sin are incompatible. You'll either give up one or you'll give up the other. And that and I'll, I'll I'll get more lax with I'll get more lax with people than fifteen minutes. You can break those fifteen minutes up throughout your day if you're a very busy person. If you have time. You know, while you're pumping gas in your car, you know, you can just lock that uh, <laughs> the nozzle in the gas tank and contemplate uh, contemplate the first joyful mystery, mm-hmm. or contemplate the virtue and vice that you're working that you're you're trying to eradicate in your life. You can break these things up over the course of your day, and then of course, perhaps get some clarity into how to actually um, make your schedule more right ordered so you can actually engage in a you know a longer term. Um, sort of practice yeah and 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 and, uh that feeds into something else which is that if you practice uh, mental prayer regularly then your approach to other things is you you'll have the sort of the habit of prayer so that at downtime like that you know while you're pumping gas or while you're in the car driving from point a to point b or while you're um whatever you know waiting for somebody at an appointment you can you can turn that into a quick moment of reflection and and make interior acts of adoration and thanksgiving and reparation and petition and love of God and you know desire to to help your neighbor. You might even find that if you're a businessman or whatever, you can take the approaches that you use in mental prayer to say, okay, throughout your day, you know, let's say right before you go to lunch or something, you know, you make a resolution to be to practice some particular virtue towards say, your coworkers or something you know again the, the the our spiritual life is not divorced from the rest of our life our spiritual life is our real life and we need to connect it to every bit of our day and and mental prayer to me becomes that sort of that 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 moment that little that that um appointment with god that that assures that i'm not going to ignore him either at that time or the rest of the day and and uh, I think the more people that are attending to that, the more people we have living on this dimension of what's actually real instead of the fake existence that's constantly being pumped into us by uh, popular media and culture. 
Yeah, because when one thing we forget is that the most real thing in our lives is the Eucharist. That is the most real thing in our lives. And while I have never hidden my antipathy towards much of what came out of Vatican II, the phrase, the source and summit of our faith to describe the Eucharist is something that I have no qualms with. And <laughs> yeah. we need to sort of reorient ourselves that way. And mental prayer is sounds like a underutilized tool for our time, especially in this time where so few believe in the real presence. You can, in the mass, you're supposed to be praying with the priest or yeah. engaging in some form of prayer, maybe during those quiet moments during the consecration, assuming you're not at a, you know, rock and roll parish with, you know, clown dancers or something, yeah. you can engage in mental prayer during the consecration and contemplate as best you can the miracle that is happening before your eyes. If you only have the, you know, the eyes of faith to see it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Stein, I'm afraid we've just run out of time on my clock. Um, and, and this is a time to show, so I have to meet the schedule. Um, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invitation. I, I do appreciate it. You've been listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel. God bless and Mary keep you.